welcome. We have a few announcements. We're still feeding the homeless on Wednesdays. If anybody wants to go. Brock is gone, so I need somebody to help me. Shannon. Just saying. <laughs> I did not. Uh, the next women's study is this Thursday, May 19th at 6. The next men's study is this Saturday, May 21st at 9. We'll go through the introduction in chapter 1. And then the next youth night is not this Thursday, but next Thursday. And if we play volleyball again, I know who's on my team. <laughs> I found a ringer. That's right. No, that was good. It was a good time. That was kind of, well, we were talking about that. That was kind of where our heart was like a year ago. When we started looking for a church out here, it was for a youth group for the girls. But little did we know that we would be a youth group at our house. That was, that was <laughs> one thing on our yeah. kids. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. We, we did. We did have fun, huh? So. Oh yeah, and then there was a dance party. <laughs> no, it works out really good because their house, like their bedrooms, on the opposite of the house, and their bedrooms on the opposite of the house, so so it works out pretty good. So. And then we're gonna do a potluck after church on June fifth. So we'll just do lunch here afterwards, and be time to get to together to know people. Did you not know that it was coming? That one probably be a good idea. It would be good if you were here. You might think about it. So, all right. Well, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the way that you work in each one of our lives. I ask that you would draw us closer to you that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. And you would give us ears to hear your word, a heart to receive your word, that the words spoken would be your words, that you would guide us, that you would draw us closer to you. Lord, I just ask you would help us to be a light and a witness in our places of work, um, in our community, in our schools, that we would reflect you by how we act, by how we love others. And just ask that you would watch over our communities, our leaders, that you would um, bless them, that you would open their eyes to you, that you would bring them to come to know you. The decisions they make would reflect their relationship with you, that they would guide this nation the way you want it guided. Lord, I just ask that you would bring many to come to know you in these last days. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So the last few weeks we've been in Romans. Chapter 1, which God willing will finish chapter 1 today. But we've gone through quite a few things. We went through the introduction of who Paul is. Paul's the author of the book of Romans. He wrote most of the New Testament. We talked about his life before and his life after Jesus. Before he lived one way, after Jesus he lived the opposite way. Um, and that's how it works for us too. Before we know Jesus, usually our lives we live one way. And after Jesus, we live the opposite way. Um, and Paul writes this letter to the Romans to set up his visit for them 
um, some of the things that he wants to talk about. But right out the gate, he makes it clear that his authority to write the letter and, and to come speak to them comes from God, not from humans deciding that that would be a good idea, but God who sent him. Um, and Paul makes it clear that Jesus is God right from the beginning, and he instructs us on how to live. Um, we learn that, that Satan is the deceiver of the world um, and that he accuses us before God day and night. And some of his accusations are true and justified, and we should ask forgiveness for the, the things that we have done and trust that when God forgives us, he never brings it up again. It's gone. It's out of our out of our uh, our lives. Um, and recognize that <coughs> when he does accuse us, and it's not true, which he does do that, he may, tells us things that, about ourselves that are not true. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be pretty enough. You'll never be smart enough. You'll never be forgiven. All these things that we need to recognize those as spiritual attacks. And the best way to deal with spiritual attacks is through prayer, um, through fasting. We got taught a long time ago that the best way to handle a spiritual attack was to have three people picked out that you know that need to come to know the Lord and pray for them. And when you recognize that spiritual attack, pray for those three people. And you kind of take the enemy's attack and you turn it around against them. So, and I, that's worked. It's worked great in my life. I can remember being early on being a believer and all kinds of things that I'd completely forgotten about come back into mind. All the things I'd done wrong. And that was a spiritual attack. That was the enemy. You'll never be forgiven. Look at all this you've done. You'll never be forgiven for all that. And, and it went on for a long time, and I was confused because I'd asked for forgiveness, but it'd still come up in my mind. And it wasn't until I started praying for those three people. Every time it came up in my mind, I had three people I prayed for. And every time I prayed for them, then slowly those thoughts don't come back in my mind. And so I took that as a spiritual attack, and, and that was one of the ways that I could... Um, come against it so because the enemy doesn't want those people to be to be saved so you take the enemy's attack and you turn it around against them and we're going to get into that that that's what this life really is it's it's not a battle against people it's a battle against um, a spiritual battle for our lives and for the lives of those around us so um, we've learned that that Jesus, even though the enemy's accusing us, that Jesus is pleading for us. And what better defense attorney to have than Jesus himself in heaven pleading for us. Um, and he doesn't leave us. He never leaves us. He doesn't come into our lives. We don't get saved. And then we, even if we choose to walk away from our faith, he never leaves us. He's always with us. He never abandons us. We learned about that. Um, <clears throat> and we talked about our feelings, you know, how the enemy can... Even though he can't take away our salvation, he can't make us ineffective. And he can do that in many ways, but one of the ways is, is to try and get our feelings to guide us. I don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like worshiping today. I don't feel like loving this person today. I definitely don't feel like loving my enemy today. Well, those feelings are wrong and they can misguide us. Um, and that's oftentimes what our feelings can do. Our feelings can lead us down a path. It doesn't always feel natural to serve God to deny ourselves that we talked about, pick up our cross and follow Jesus, you know, to deny ourselves, do something to serve others and follow Jesus. That doesn't feel natural most of the time to us. So that's why our feelings can lead us astray. And we do have to be careful of that. Um, we talked about murmuring and complaining um, that 
uh, it's not just something that happens out loud. You know, we talk about the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and murmuring and complaining. And I don't think it was just them constantly talking out loud. No, I think it was in their heads. Do I really have to eat this manna again? Is there really nothing better? You know, and God hears all that. There's nothing that God doesn't know. Um, we've learned about being in fellowship and the importance of being in fellowship regularly and the why we're in fellowship. And the Bible makes it clear that we're in fellowship to encourage each other in love and good deeds. So we have all this time that we spend in the world, but it's important that we come together in fellowship and encourage each other. And that's, you think of all the ways that the world can can distract us and, and take us away from serving God or, or, or diminish our faith. And it's important to come together as believers and be encouraged. Um, and that's what we're doing today. So we learned last week about not being ashamed of the gospel or the name of Jesus um, and how important that was. That if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. And that's a, a scary thing to be, a scary place to be. Um, and not denying his name. And, and here in the United States, that doesn't seem like a, a big deal. But in other countries where you're killed for your faith, and that still goes on today, um, that is a big deal. And, and to, to lose your life or for your family to lose their life because you won't deny Jesus. I mean, how powerful that is. Um, and I think sometimes we forget about that or we don't see that big impact. Because um, there's no other name than Jesus to be saved. It's because of his work on the cross that, that we have salvation. So we're going to start off this morning. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Matt, can you remind me where we're at? Yeah. We're going to go Romans 1, 18 through 32. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. So we've kind of learned up until this point in Romans, you know, Paul's authority, um, who Jesus is, that Jesus is God, and what that means, what God's love is, a little bit of what we're to do as believers, how we're to live. But now Paul gets into what we're not to do, and that there is a spiritual battle out there, and, and there's... I think this is the best place in scripture that defines that. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. So a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So here Paul tells the Ephesians to put on the full armor of God, and that's a study probably for another time. Um, and the reason he tells them that is because the, the fight is not against flesh and blood. He makes that very clear. And I think sometimes we misunderstand that, that we want to think that we need to go straighten this person out or you know, go tell them how wrong they are. And the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And the best way that we can handle that is through prayer. Um, praying for others. And we'll get more into that here at the end. Um, 
but the battle is definitely, if it's not a flesh and blood battle, it's not against other people. It's not against any people group either. And that's important too. Sometimes the church, I think, gets that wrong and um, how they act and how they treat others. You know, we're told two commandments, love God with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. And if you can follow those two, that sums up the whole law. Um, so when you come against a person or you come against a people group, I would say I would have a hard time thinking that that's from God. Um, so, um, and again, one of the ways that we've talked about too, one of the ways the enemy tricks you is, did God really say? Did God really say this? You know, we talked about that with Adam and Eve. And did God really say? And the best way to know, did God really say, is to spend time in his word and to know what did God really say? You know, get in his word every day. Spend time in prayer with him every day. There is that spiritual battle every day. So with that in mind, let's go to Romans 1, 18. And that's where we'll start today. So like I said, up until this point, Paul's been showing his authority, showing Jesus' authority, that Jesus is the Son of God, how we're to live our lives. But now he's going to warn us on what not to do and what evil is out there. Um, so you're picking it up in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has made us, by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So there's a lot that is in these few verses, but just kind of start at the top here. It says that they suppress the truth. So in order to suppress the truth, the truth must be in you first. You know, you can't suppress it if it's not inside you. So the people that Paul's talking about here already know the truth about God. They know that he's the creator. They know that he's the sustainer of life. <coughs> they know that forgiveness comes through him through the Messiah, through Christ either to come or from where we're looking at it, Christ who already came and died for our sins. Um, and God has made himself known to everyone, it says. Um, he has made himself known to everyone since the creation of the world. So everyone he has made himself known to. Um, and we talked last week about I take God at his word. I take the Bible literally. If, if God says it, I believe it. So if he says he's made himself known to everyone since the creation, then I believe it. And I think um, there's times that we can, we can get off track or think, no, that can't really be true. And my brother here a few years ago challenged me and said, you know, I, I don't understand how you could serve a God who creates people, but then the only way that they can be saved is to know Jesus. But what about these remote villages and 
wherever, South America, that don't know Jesus. Well, here God makes it clear that that's not true, that everyone he's made himself known to. So my thinking with that is, one, don't take yourself down a rabbit hole that you don't know. You know, do you know of an actual people group that never came to know Christ? Um, and, and two, God sent people all throughout the world to, to proclaim his name. But that's not the only way that he proclaims his name. Um, so if you want, you can always Google this, but there's, um, in Muslim communities, there's a thing that's been going on where an entire community will have the same vision one night or the same dream one night. And it's Jesus himself revealing himself to them in a dream or in a vision, you know. And this is an entire community that will come, Muslim community that will come to know, know God. And you can Google it and read the stories about it, you know. So I, I think sometimes the enemy we've talked can make us ineffective or wants to twist God's word. Well, God makes it very clear there. He's made himself known to everyone in his way. He didn't create, and we'll get into this, but he didn't create anyone for them to be destroyed. And he makes that very clear in his word too. So I think sometimes in defending our faith, people are going to come against it. And, and it's good to know what God's word says. And he didn't create anyone to be destroyed. He makes that very clear and we're going to get to that. So, And he didn't create anyone without hope, the hope of salvation. So Romans fifteen thirteen, we won't go there. But it makes it very clear that God is the God of hope. And the hope that the Bible speaks about is not a wish, but a guarantee of things to come. Um, it's not a, I wish, I hope I, this lottery ticket's a winner. It's a guarantee. I hope, I know that I have salvation through Jesus. Um, so, like I say, the Bible's hope is very different from the worldly hope. It's not a wish, but a guarantee of things to come. So... So we'll continue on here in Romans 21, um, Romans 1, 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasoning and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible mankind of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Um, so verse 21 here, this speaks directly to me in my life. I knew God, I knew who he was in my head, but I didn't know who he was in my heart. Um, and it didn't change the way I lived until I knew him in my heart. Um, but when it says here that their hearts were darkened, I guess my question is, who darkened their hearts? Was it God or was it themselves? And my answer to my own question would be, it would be themselves first and then God. And I think God makes that clear in, in different areas of Scripture. Um, one of the places I think he makes that clear is with Moses and Pharaoh, where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But before you get to that, you read all the different ways that God tried to show Pharaoh, I'm in control, I'm the Almighty God. Turned to me, you know, and Pharaoh one time after another hardened his own heart. And then finally God gave him what, is, what he wanted. And God ultimately gives us the desires of our own hearts, no matter what they are. He hold off for a time, but eventually he gives us what we want. Um, and that can be 
you think about it, if we want to live a life separate from God, that's not what his desire is. He wants us to come to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. But if we choose to live that life separate from him and never ask him into our lives, then for all of eternity, that's what he gives us, a life separate from him. And that's not his wish. That's not why he created us. Um, but that's what, that's what we can choose to do. We can live that life separate from him, and, and, that, and that's where we end up. We end up in hell, eternally separated from God. Um, but that's not his desire. And let's go to Second Peter 3.9. This one I don't have a slide for. Yep, second Peter three nine. So 2 Peter 3.9, some of the believers are asking, well, why is God taking so long to come back? You know, you've been saying now for a while, you apostles, that he's coming back at any moment. And so this is Peter's response. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is, patiently, is patient toward you, not willing that any not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So he's not willing that any should not come to know him, but that all should repent and come to know him. And that's his will. And he doesn't just make it clear there. We won't go to all of them. But he makes it clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Ezekiel 18, 23, Ezekiel 31, 11, Romans 2, 4, his will is that we would repent, that all would repent and come to know him. Um, God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but everyone to be saved. And he makes that clear here and throughout his word. You know, John three sixteen, he gave his son for all the world to come to know him. Not just some, but all. So um, it makes it, some people want to, to take God's word and, and twist it. Did God really say, how could you serve a God that creates people that have no chance to come to know him? But like I said, God makes that very clear that that's not the case and never was the case all the way from the beginning of time. So, um, so we'll continue on here in verse 24. So therefore God gave them up to vile impute, impurity in the lust of their hearts so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood and worshipped and served the, create, the, create, the creature <laughs> rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Um, the truth is here in his word. We get to read what God's truth is. God is, is separate from sin. God cannot lie. That's not in his character. What he says will come to pass. All of his promises in here, all of the, the prophecy that the Bible is, the Bible is one-third prophecy, and all of it will come to pass. Everything he says. Um, one of my, my favorite places in the Bible is in Isaiah, where it, 
it, Isaiah was written 200 years before it took place that the, the Israelites are in captivity in Babylon and they get set free and God calls out the king 200 years before that who would set him free and it was Cyrus. And I think that that's amazing. And that's not, and people say, oh, the Bible wrote that. No, that's historical. You can go back to historical books and look that up and read through that and they line up with the Bible. So, so for God to call out this King Cyrus by name 200 years before the event took place is amazing. You know, we look at the, the prophecy of Jesus, of his coming, his first coming, and how he would die, and, and how all of Scripture shows that, um, and how it all came to pass. You know, so when God says something, it happens. He doesn't, um, he's, he doesn't lie. He's separated from sin. Um, but back to the context here. Then they began to worship the creation instead of the creator. Um, I can think of many ways that we worship things of this world instead of God. We can worship money. We can worship power, fame. We can worship popularity. You know, you look at social media and, and how many likes do I have and how important is that to me? Um, we can worship, you know, material things, cars, houses, things like that. That's what's important. But none of it brings lasting happiness, at least never did for me. You know, it may bring temporary happiness, but never lasting happiness. Not the same lasting um, joy that I received from, from having that relationship with Jesus, asking him into my life and letting him lead and guide. Um, and the other ways I think about worshiping the, the creation you know, you hear many people worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars, and you think, oh, well, that was old times. We're past all that. But there's many people that look into the horoscopes and, and believe that what that says, believe that that's going to have an impact in their life, and that's not from God. And what the enemy does is the enemy takes whatever God's done and perverts it and changes it. And God said that there would be signs in the heavens and the earth, and, and then the enemy comes along, and well, let's pervert that and, and twist that, and let's give you a horoscope, and we'll tell you what the future holds. You know, so, so turn to this and, and not to God. And that's what the enemy tries to do all throughout our lives, is to take us away from God, so, to lead us away from where he has led us to. So, so continue on here, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged natural relations with that that is contrary to nature. And likewise, the men, too, abandoned natural relations with women and burned in their desires towards one another, males with males, committing shameful acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, to a depraved mind, to do the things that are not proper. So the natural relations is men with women. And we get that back in Genesis in the beginning. God created them male and female, and the two were united into one. And we've gone through that. We've talked about what that means. Um, that Eve was taken out of Adam, and that the two come back together, and then they are one again. So... That as men, there's parts of us that are missing that women have, and women, there's parts that you have that we don't have. But together, we make it fit. And, and that's important for the family, 
for how the family structure is. You think, I think of the things that I bring to the family and the things that Shannon brings to the family, and together we're whole. We bring what, everything that the family needs. Um, for our kids, how we raise them, how we guide them. Um, and that's the one thing that the, another thing that the enemy likes to do too is take apart the family. And we talked about this on Thursday night, you know. One of the ways that the enemy separates our families is, is to get kids to think, oh, I can't tell my parents this, or I can't talk to my parents about this. They'll be mad, or, or this, that, or the other. And that's one of the, the biggest ways that the enemy tries to destroy the family or separate the family is that I can't talk to my parents, which is almost never true, is it? You can always talk to your parents, always tell them what's going on. And a lot of times when people want to manipulate kids, oh, don't tell your parents this. And that's how they manipulate kids. And that's how the enemy gets his foothold in there. So, um, But here in the context of what we're talking about, I just want to go back to that Ephesians chapter 6 and remind you that the, the battle is not against flesh and blood. That the, the battle is a spiritual battle, and those spiritual battles are oftentimes fought with prayer and fasting, um, in love for God first, and then love for our neighbors, which our neighbors are all around us. But the battle is never against one people group, and oftentimes the church wants to make it against a people group. Um, and, and I would tell you that the, I think a lot of those churches are wrong. That the churches that go out and say that God hates you are completely wrong. God does not hate anyone. He loves all. He gave his son up for all. Um, so, down in verse 28 though, um, you see that just as they see fit, <laughs> or just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to their depraved minds. God gave them up to the desires of their heart. And that's ultimately what God does. He gives us the desires of our heart. He will resist for so long until he knows. He knows the outcome in the end that there's no turning back from this. And he gives us the desires of our heart. And the desires of our heart can be good also, not just bad. And we read about the bad parts here in this area. But the desires of our heart can be good. And if the desires of our heart are not good, we can ask God. Ask God to help us. God, please give me a heart for the lost. Please give me a heart for the hurting. Please give me a heart for the things that break yours, God. And he answers our prayers every time. We kind of talked through this earlier too, that um, it came up when we were feeding the homeless. That this man, oh, you really believe that what the Bible says, you really believe that people live to be 900 years old. You know, you really believe all this. You believe that God really created the heavens and the earth, or the, the earth in six days. And my answer is yes, I really believe that. I believe God at his word. Um, absolutely, I do. And he says, well, have you ever seen the comedians, the, the tall guy and the short guy? And I'm not sure which guys he's talking about. I was trying to think. He says, but they get together and he says, they prove right then and there that the Bible's not true. That He says, and they use the Bible to do it. And I said, okay, well, how's that? He goes, well, they say, you know, they take you to where it says in the Bible that where two or three are gathered, Jesus is present. And he says, and then they take you to where it says, if you ask anything in Jesus' name, he'll give it to you. And he says, well, go get together with your friends and pray for a million dollars. 
And if you get it, then you know God's true. And if you don't, then you know that he's not true. Well, that's not the way it works. God, they're just picking and choosing places in Scripture to fit theirs, but they're not looking at the whole Scripture. When our prayers and our thoughts line up with God's desire, when they're not self-serving, the Bible makes it clear that when we're praying and asking for things that are self-serving, that God doesn't answer that. He doesn't give us that. But when we pray and ask for things that does line up with God's will, like, God, give me a heart after your heart. Give me a heart for the people that are lost in this world. He answers those prayers every single time. God, strengthen my marriage. He answers that prayer every single time. Marriage is an institution from God. God created it, not man. And that he will honor that, that he will come alongside each and every marriage out there. That he wants to all marriages to be successful. Um, and so every time that we pray that, yes, he answers 100% of the time. Um, it's never his will for us not to be married. It's never his will for us to be divorced. Um, so we'll continue on here in verse 29. So people, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, disobedient to parents. Um, so when he's l reading through this list of of what people are doing. Um, this is a pretty bad list, but the ones that stand out to me are the, the gossiping and the disobedient to parents. You know, it seems like if there's anything that's less bad, that seems less bad, but not in God's eyes. God puts them in the same category. Um, and the gossiping, gossiping is something you'd say to someone else, but not say to the person's face. Um, and it's the quickest way to, to bring division, to tear apart. Um, and it's probably one of the hardest things to forgive when someone's done that to you. When someone said something behind your back that isn't true, that was in an effort to make fun of you, um, that was in an effort to belittle you or tear you down, it's one of the hardest places to forgive. But this is another place, too, where we can ask God to help us. God, help me to forgive this person. Please, Lord. Help me to forgive um, and pray for them. We're told to pray for our enemies. When someone's come against us, when we pray for them, God changes our heart, I think, in that situation. And most every time that I've done that, he's changed the situation too. Where there's a conflict with someone at work. When I've prayed for them, God, please bless them. And even though if I don't truly mean it, just saying the words over again every morning. God, please bless this person. He changes my heart and ultimately changes that situation. And in some way, he opens it up where I do have a, a relationship with that person or I, I can have a conversation with that person that I couldn't before. And it's nothing to do with me, but it's everything to do with the work that he does. Um, I changed my mind and decided to follow him, and he changes my heart. That's how it works. So... Um, So the disobedient to parents, that one, I think, 
that one stands out to me too. I think sometimes we play it off as it's not that bad. But that's a big deal because your parents are the first authority that you have in your life. So if you can't respect and honor your parents and their authority, you're going to struggle throughout the rest of your life honoring and respecting the other authorities that are out there. And there are many. You are never your own boss. You're never on your own. You are never apart from being responsible or accountable to someone else. So you always have authorities over your life. And it's an important lesson for us to learn early on to have that authority. Are you taking notes? Okay. So it's important for us to learn early on that respecting our parents, respecting authority is what God is asking us to do. Um, So when we do find ourselves falling short and we ask for forgiveness... Um, or when we have to forgive others. The way we're supposed to forgive others is we're never to bring it up again. Um, That's the example that God sets for us. He never brings it up again. And we kind of went over this last week with with Sarah in in Hebrews chapter 11. So Sarah is Abraham's wife. They're promised a kid. They're promised uh, um, many descendants. And they're both old and they have no, no kids. So God comes to them and, and says, yep, you're, this time next year you'll be pregnant. And Sarah laughs. She doesn't believe. Um, but we don't read that in Hebrews. And so we talk through that. And I think that's a perfect, a perfect example of God forgiving and removing it from the record. So I do believe that Sarah, the Bible, you know, in Genesis says that Sarah laughed. I believe that that happened. That she laughed that she didn't believe a year from now she would be pregnant. But somewhere in that time, after that, she asked for forgiveness. And before Jesus, they would offer sacrifices, and that would cover up sin. But Jesus, after his sacrifice on the cross, he took away our sins. So I believe that she asked for forgiveness at some point in her life, that she was forgiven, and that God did what he said. He took away her sins as far as the east is from the west. He removed it from her record, and he never brought it up again. And then when we get to read about it in Hebrews chapter 11, and it says that she received in faith. Well, that's because God removed it from his record. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, he removes our sins, and he never brings it up again. And that's how we're to forgive. We're to forgive someone, we're never to bring it up again. If we think about it, we're to ask for forgiveness then, but we're never to bring it up again to them. Um... So, let's continue on in verse 31. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the shame, do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So just as we have the ability to encourage one another in love and good deeds, we also have the ability to encourage others in practicing evil. And, and I can think of many times in my life where I've done that, you know, where, oh, come on, you know, 
come drink with us tonight, you know, try and encourage people to come do whatever it was we were doing or whatever it was that I was doing that was sinful. Um, but it's a choice and it's not how I have to live my life. Now I can encourage others in love and good deeds with what God says. Um, and just remember, there's no neutral with God. We're either walking with God or we're walking against him. There's no middle ground. I'm a good person. That's not, not what the Bible says. Um, we're either for him or we're against him. And we're either encouraging others in love and good deeds or encouraging others in evil practices. So um, with that, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. And I thank you for the work that you do in each one of our lives. Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross so that our sins can be taken away, each and every one of them, no matter what they are. And that you forgive us every time we ask for it, and you never bring it up again. You remove it from our record. You've wiped the slate clean. You've washed us with your blood. And we're made white as stone because of your work, because of your love, because of your mercy and your grace. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for each and every person here and that you would draw us closer to you, fill us with your Holy Spirit, help us to be that light and witness where we're at in our, in our daily lives each and every day this week. That you would guide us to encourage others in love and good deeds. That you would watch over us, that you would protect us, keep us safe and healthy, free from harm. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Any questions or comments or prayer requests? Were you paying attention to the part about disobeying your parents? Because it looked like you were on your phone the whole time. Yeah, yep, and he makes that clear. He's put the authority in place for us to respect. But you have to think too, so like when Paul and Peter both wrote that, they're writing this at a time where the authority that's placed over them is the Romans. And at that time, there was an emperor named Nero. And he was like, I don't know if you can say the worst of the worst, but he had to be up there. You know, some of the things he would do to Christians is, oh, you want to be the light of the world? And he would put them on a post in his garden and cover them in tar and burn them alive. Okay, you can light up my garden. Now you can be the light of the world. You know, things like that. So these guys are writing this, they're to obey government authorities while that's going on. So that's not an easy thing for them to say. But I think it all goes back to the deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. So we're to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, whatever that may be, but it's always following Jesus. So if the government's doing something that's not following Jesus or it's against God's will or his word, then we're not to take part in that. Yes, you're absolutely. But all the other stuff up until that point, we are. Even the things we don't agree with. And you can think of things going on in our world today. All the different political things and, you know, the mask mandates and all that. Well, if it's a government mandate, if, whether we agree with it or not, we should be following it, is what it comes down to. So, But then on the other hand, when it came down to, well, the churches can't gather, well, now that's against God's word. He says, don't forsake the fellowship of the, of the brethren. Don't forsake getting together, that it's important. 
know, in the church online thing, that was okay, but that's not getting together. That's not encouraging each other. That's not encouraging other than the love and good deeds, which he made clear that's what we're supposed to do. So at that point, do you follow the government authorities? And I would say no. I would say no, you should still be meeting. So. That's what I was just saying. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. Just that's what we were talking about. It's pretty specific, especially when COVID hit. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. It's, it's, you should be, I think people did, oh, I'm going to wear a mask because I don't want it. That's not, I don't have to listen to this. And I'm like, well, that's why I think so many people did a lot of butting their heads. So. My opinion would be, if you're going to follow the Bible, letter of the law yeah if it was required you wear your mask then you should wear your mask but when they said oh you can't get together and you can't sing that was the other thing like in a lot of california churches well you can't you can get together but you can't sing oh no we're supposed to worship god and sing in song and and in prayer so so you that part no I, i wouldn't follow the government mandates then and i think god's word kind of makes that clear and i think too it's a faith thing you know Oh, if you get together and everybody gets sick, well, isn't God more powerful than all that and all that sickness? And could some get sick and some not? Yes, but usually when you follow what God says, he takes care of it, would be my opinion. So, But the same thing like with submitting, where it talks about submitting to one another, whenever to submit to each other and sin, we're, you know, deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Jesus, you know, so I'm never to lead Shannon into something sinful. If I tell her I think we should rob a bank, well, no, she's not to partake in that. Right. That's one of the Ten well, Commandments, don't steal. Well, well you, you could, and I could. Oh, yeah, and we both are in sin at that point. Right. Absolutely. Could, I could, it yeah. happen. Yeah. But on the same hand, it's... you're not leading yeah. properly. But on, this, on the other token, <laughs> it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of if, you, if you're to submit to, to me and I want to refinance the house and go spend the money on something that is foolish, that you're still supposed to come alongside that because we're not against God's, we haven't, if we haven't broken any of God's rules or his guidelines, then you're to come alongside that. And at the end of it, if, if God's told me, oh, you should spend the money on something else instead of this foolish thing, and I'm choosing not to obey God, I'm in sin, but she's not. Because she's doing what God's word says. She's following me. So I get punished, she gets rewarded in that situation. If that makes sense. Because I think sometimes we think, I think, especially in the marriage, oh, I'll follow him if he's right. Well, most of the time he's probably wrong. <laughs> so... And it's, if it's a, a sinful wrong, then absolutely not. But if it's not a sinful wrong, you're to, to follow his lead. He's always right. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Okay. That's, that was fun. That was fun. That was all the comments you got? No, that was it. Because I think that that was one of the things. Yeah. Um, understanding... Yeah, you submit to authority, but they're leading you in a direction that's against what the Bible says, and it's a no point. There. Yeah, yeah, we're never to be accepting of sin, but I do think the the church and how they handle the gay community 
is, is set themselves apart. They've, you've created this sharp division. You know, that God hates you. You know, all these things that, that the church will say. Well, <laughs> all of us are in sin. We're all susceptible to different types of sin, and that is sin. But if you separate that people group from God and you say, no, you can't come to church here, you can't be a part of this, well, where else are they going to be freed from that sin? You know, so I have a hard time with that. And not that you accept it, the sin, not that you condone it, but if you separate people from coming to know God, that's, I have a hard time with the churches that do that. And definitely the ones that go out and condemn them. Oh, you're going to hell. Well, the Bible makes it clear you're not to, you're not to judge in that manner, not to judge in the way of condemnation. Are we to judge right from wrong? Absolutely, you know, but not in the way of condemnation. So, and that, it, is a, that is, yeah, that shows some judgmental and some division. Because just because of, well, my industry alone, it's, it's, a, it's pretty prominent. Um, but if I act like I'm judging them or they're not invited to the places I am, then what does it do? It doesn't it oh, yeah. me a bit of a hypocrite of what I'm being taught from the Bible. Never even church say, well, they could come here, but we're going to have a talk with them right away. Well, why? Do you have a talk with the, yeah. the heterosexual couple that's, that's living together, not married? Do you have a talk with them right away? You know, it's both sexual sin. So I just, it's a tough one. But I think we're to love people. I mean, the Bible makes that very clear. We're to love them. We're not to condone it. We're not to say, oh, yeah, you're right. It's okay that you do that. It's not that big a deal. No, it's sin. And if it comes up, um, and the reason this comes up for me, I guess, is because I have a friend that I used to work with and was married, had kids, and, and then decided they got divorced, and he decided, no, I'm gay. And one of the first things that happened was people that we knew, Christians that we knew, to, you know, told him all kinds of things. That, you know, oh, you're going to hell, all these awful things. And it was pretty amazing. I mean, there are no coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences, but the Holy Spirit had it planned because we had just studied kind of through what the Bible says about homosexuality. Um, we just studied through that. And he had called me up and, you know, I don't know, called me up and was talking. And I needed some help installing the sliding glass door, so he came over and helped me do that. And so he was able to just ask, well, does the Bible really say? And we had just gone through it. So I said, yeah, this is what the Bible says about it. Not that, you know, not that you're separated and can never have a relationship with Jesus, but yes, this is what the Bible says. It calls it out of sin. I don't, I didn't deviate from that for him, but I still love him. You know, I would give anything for him to come to know Jesus, anything. So, because I think that's, that's the only chance, that's the only way I was able to be separate from sin was was because of the work Jesus did. So so that's why I have a I guess a harder time with it. Or it's more in my the back of my mind. Well, because I think you you're in a situation where he's a he's a, a part of our lives and he's a, a really good friend. And so I think that I think both of us have a heart for it because I think we watched a um a congregation of church Kind of push it away. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's and not trusting. Yeah. Lots of gossiping and. That's hard. I, the girls that I've been studying with on Wednesdays aren't my old neighbors, and. Um, you didn't hear it last 
earmuffs on. One of them is Mormon. Yeah. And, you know, we just get together and and she's interesting because she also studies theology, so listening to her perspective sure. on things, I just love it. Yeah. But her son, she's like, he likes all the girl stuff. And growing up in the Mormon church, she's like, this is going to be really hard if, if it does come out that, you know, he is gay or something. But she's like, it's, I mean, he wants his nails painted for Christmas. His sister buys him girl things. Like, yeah. this is how he was born. He's not seeing, he doesn't watch YouTube, he doesn't watch, you know, he was born this way, and these are the things that he's, he likes, and I haven't talked with her about it in probably over a year, um, but it was interesting hearing her perspective, and what does that look like, she's like, I can't imagine that God's like, oh no, this, I, she, she feels like God created him, you know, so. I think what it is, you know, people say, well, I've had these feelings, or been this way ever since I was little and I think it, it's we're all susceptible to different sins and the enemy knows what they are mm-hmm. um, and I think part of it too is you know the enemy the, we talk about this the enemy is is our own sinful nature it's the world kind of system and then it's the devil and his demons it's kind of a threefold enemy but so the enemy wants to accuse us and I think too that the enemy wants to accuse like a boy that likes more girl kind of stuff. Oh, well, you must be gay then. You know, will they accuse you of that? Well, that's not. That's one of those accusations that's not true. That's not how God made him. That's not how God made you. Just because you like things or you talk a certain way, you you have a lisp or whatever it is. Oh, you you act gay. You must be gay. And you hear that over and over and over again, and then eventually you believe it. You know, you believe the the lies of the enemy. But I think people are have tendencies to do something one way or the other the world perverts that and twists and says oh this is who you are and that's not true and i think it's a sinful thing too you know we all have sinful natures i mean i can remember drinking when i was a little kid you know like younger than them you know just your dad would give you a beer let you have a sip of his beer and that was an attraction to me but that wasn't who i am and that's not who i am now and that's all because of the work jesus did and I think it's the same in the gay community. Why well, I have these feelings, well, your feelings will lead you astray. And that's one of the things I think we get messed up too in society is, oh, I feel this way. Well, that's not, just because you feel that way doesn't mean you're right, you know. So, and sin definitely gets a hold of people and misleads us. And I think that's exactly what it is. It's just sin. So... I think with our friend, I think he was told at a young age, that's, you're different. 
Oh, yeah. You are very different. And eventually... And Nick Gill even admitted it. He was told by his brother, or his sister, his sisters, and then his parent, his dad, not his brother, his dad. I mean, that's just how they treated him. It was just bizarre, and I'm like... Huh. But all because he was different. I mean, just well, had different really way of looking at things, yeah. different way of talking. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't make that who he is. Yeah. You know? But I think the enemy uses that. To, oh, look, all these people are telling you this all throughout your life. And anybody we talk to, like, oh, yeah, he's always been that way. We've always wondered about that. Well, how can you say that about other people? You know, it doesn't make it true. So I don't know. To me, it's a tough one. It's a sensitive subject. Just because it's hard. And especially now, like, with the whole transgender thing and all that that goes on. That's very tough, too. So. I don't want to feed into it. Are you still playing games on your phone? (laughs) 